there was a discovery of gold in the state of Minnesota, which led to a giant gold rush in the mid-1800s. Come with us now, Midwest Ghost Town, episode number three, The Minnesota Gold Rush. All right, welcome back to Midwest Ghost Town, covering all the abandoned places in the Midwest, and we have covered a few other places, and we just got done doing a video, the top five ghost towns in the state of Minnesota. You can go back and check my YouTube channel out on that one, Midwest Ghost Town. Minnesota historically is known for the iron ore that it produces up in the Iron Range. So two of those ghost towns, Taconite Harbor, and Elkor were um, two mining camps, mining towns that were added to it as well. I can go on and on and on about the iron ore ghost towns, and I'm going to do a separate segment with those because they deserve it. Um, lots of history, lots of stories there. But today, we're going to pinpoint one of those towns that I talked about, Sacramento which really was centered around um, the Minnesota Gold Rush. And so when I first heard the story, I thought, Minnesota Gold Rush, what are you talking about? I'm really familiar with the California Gold Rush and the history and what happens with the migration with people moving out west and everything that was going on there from old Wild West towns as people moved westward seeking their fortune as being prospectors for gold. Sacramento, California, we all know that area. And so that really ties well with this story. Here's what happens with Sacramento and why Sacramento, Minnesota is in this story. There are two characters, Hatch and Clark. From my research, those are the names that I discovered. And I don't know the full story, but if I was going to go fiction on this and say, here's what I think happened. Hatch and Clark were miners 49 or so to speak in 1849 they went westward to california to seek their gold it didn't happen they failed they didn't have that gold they came back to minnesota and thought to themselves what can we do because we are we're broke and we need to come up with an idea here and so they had some nuggets of gold they had something so they decided what they'd do is break that gold up and scatter it along a creek along the zumbro river in uh, basically mid to southern Minnesota there. It's close to Manterville, Minnesota. And we'll get into that in a little bit more. But they went and they scattered gold around this creek and started to spread word that gold had been found. And what happened was that sparked a gold rush and people began to visit the area. And soon... A mining camp began to take form, which they named Sacramento, and there was a hotel, a tavern, a sawmill, a stagecoach stop. In fact, that first hotel was built in 1856 on that site and was later sold and moved uh, to Quezon in 1866. So you can actually see that hotel, which now is called the Eureka House in Quezon, Minnesota. It still stands. It's still there. So... The history of Sacramento is happening. There's this big boom. Things are are getting exciting because people are really pumped for their opportunity to 
seek their fortune. Come to find out, though, there's no gold there. It was all a farce. It was all a scam. And so there was no gold. They kept looking, and when people's fortunes and their dreams began to fade because there was no gold, they began to leave Sacramento. Sacramento became a boom town overnight and became a ghost town overnight. And what really sealed the fate to Sacramento was when they voted for the county seat, they voted to move that county seat to Manorville, and that really sealed the fate, and Sacramento became one with the ages and disappeared. Now, that's one part of the story, and that's one that I was kind of talking about, but what really spurred my interest about this was that wasn't it. That was just kind of like the beginning of really gold rushes coming. So we're going to hear more about that. We got two other stories that go along with this. Stay with us, Midwest Ghost Town. Okay, so we heard about the story of Sacramento, ghost town of Sacramento, Minnesota, but there is more to the story. One of the video, or one of the pictures that I showed in that video, top five ghost towns in Minnesota, there was a picture of these miners, and so we're not really kind of talking about and leading into gold being discovered. And they were standing around this lake. And that picture is actually uh, found from the Minnesota State Historical Society. They have a picture of miners around Lake Vermilion, Minnesota. And they were just kind of showing the discovery of gold. And prospectors are kind of going crazy. It's the additional story of the gold rush happening in Minnesota. So from 1865 to 1866, mines began to spring up all over Lake Vermilion. And they were searching for gold. And as they were kind of going along and they were finding um, different strands of gold, they wanted to know, you know, what the purity of this gold was. They wanted to really know what they had on their hands here because they knew that they had something pretty awesome and they really wanted to kind of share this with the world and and. It was even kind of being touted as that, hey, come to Minnesota, right? We are the second greatest state past California. California had the first gold rush. Come to Minnesota. We're the next great land, right? So immigration started to happen. People were excited, and there was an influx of population coming into the state, seeking their fortunes for gold. And lo and behold, a geologist gets involved by the name of Albert Chester from New York. And he was hired, actually, um, by the state to search for iron ore in 1882. Should back up a step here. Was he hired by the state? It could have been that he was just privately hired. Um, but he was hired nonetheless looking for iron ore. They knew that the state was rich with it. And at the same time, he also conducted a thorough examination of the so-called gold deposits. So he collected specimens from many quartz veins, carefully analyzed them, and then he concluded, and he says, quote, it was not a matter of surprise that these gold ores did not contain, I repeat, did not contain any gold. Okay, so six years later, 1888, Minnesota State Geologist Newton Winchell included in his brief description of the Vermilion Gold District. And he agreed with Chester's analysis, but explained that what the New York geologist had collected was indeed magnetic pyrite. I'll repeat that. What he collected was magnetic 
pyrite, which is rarely at all um, linked with gold. So in other words, let's speak in lay terms here, we're talking about fool's gold. So they definitely had a product that was gold-like, just wasn't the gold that they were looking for. Other quartz veins are provided, and he continues his research to try to find out, but he concludes, okay, and this is Newton Winchell, he concludes that the state geologist concluded that gold-bearing quartz existed in the vicinity of Lake Vermilion in enough quantity to make it a valuable low-grade ore that could profitably be mined using the same methods that they were employing out in the Black Hills. I want to stop there for a second because I found that pretty interesting. So basically what he was saying is that indeed they did find gold. That the possibility of gold existing there, it's there. They were just going to have to employ different methods to be able to speculate and get that gold. So the report never proved though that there was sufficient or any incentive to encourage further speculation into the Vermilion gold ore. No sizable profits resulted from investments made in the 15 or so companies which organized, established claims, and sought gold-bearing quartz. So basically what was said was is that more people lost fortunes in their pursuit for gold in this Minnesota gold rush than what, what they actually got out of it. The Lake Vermilion Gold Rush did, however, do one significant thing. It actually resulted in a redirection of attention toward the Western Great Lakes. So people all of a sudden started to take it more seriously as an area that, oh, what do we got here? This, this had diminished before that as a result of panic and depression in the late 1850s. It briefly attacked the national attention to a region of vast potential mineral wealth, which we'll get into, and it brought about the Chippewas' relinquishment of title to the land, which is also another episode as well, because we know there's some sensitivities there with uh, land being taken and land being given and so forth. So that's not for this episode. But what is for this episode is this, is that gold was discovered, that they felt like they could actually make a profit on it. It didn't turn out the way they wanted it to, but what it did do was it pointed to a rich mining um, field of iron ore up in the, um, the northeast corner of Minnesota there going all the way down as the Great Iron Range. All right, we're going to come back with our third story because what you're going to find out in this next part is, is they actually did discover the real deal Gold was discovered up in northern Minnesota along the border. We'll get into that next. All right, welcome back. As we are looking at the Minnesota gold rush, went into a couple towns before this, um, specifically the areas of what was known as Sacramento, Minnesota, Lake Vermilion, Minnesota. And now... We're going further north in 1893 a speculator by the name of george w davis 
actually did discover gold. He was in the Rainy Lake area and he discovered gold in about what was said as about two meters of quartz. And he found that on an island named Little American Island. And you can actually find this island in which, which is now um, located in Voyagers National Park. And you can literally go see the mine that is there today. Uh, the remnants of that mine can still be found. And visitors can visit the island with boat tours from the Rainy Lake Visitor Center. So you'll have to check with that. I don't believe that has changed, but just double check that. But if you can see that site, that'd be that'd be pretty cool. And the fact that they actually have the mine. So the Little American Mine, as it's known historically. Here's the problem, though, that what happened. So George Davis goes and he finds this gold. But due to the failures of everything that was happening in the previous gold rush in 1865 he couldn't get the, fina the financial backing so no one really trusted or believed that yeah right yeah right you found gold in Minnesota you know we've already failed many times it's, it, there's no gold in Minnesota it's a big farce it's a big lie and so he couldn't find the financial backing so he ends up selling the rights so he sold the land rights um, to to a mining company that went in and of course they went in and um, and mined that gold so this is all part of the Minnesota gold rush that happened and like I said before it wasn't that it was the gold that really caused the big um, big the big scene it was iron ore so this really flashed the light on that hey we are rich in mineral deposits in Minnesota it's just iron and the interesting thing that happened, if you look traditionally in history, the search for gold in the mid-1860s spurred state government interest in the North Shore. And that led to the establishment of a regular and scientifically accurate geologic survey. And with that survey and the passing of the gold rush, because, hey, all right, we didn't find what we wanted. Ten years were to elapse or they were to move on past that in a decade during which an expanding iron and steel industry demanded additional sources of iron ore. So the timing was right. And all of a sudden this kind of paves the way for, for iron ore and for the mining of iron ore. And when you look at the time period of where we're at, we're right at the turn of the century. We're starting to get into 1900s and we know what starts to happen between 1900 and 1916. Things are starting to elevate in Europe, and World War One is right around the corner. And so, the importance of having that iron ore and the boom that is about to happen is huge. And the immigration that's involved with this is enormous. And I did a lot of research because I was trying to figure out, well, who are we talking about here? All sorts of different immigrants. Those immigrants, you know, could be Italian. They could be, you know. British or English and Irish. They could be, you know, heavily um, Scandinavian European. There was a big influence, you know, of, of many different ethnic back backgrounds. And the importance of this and why we're talking about it on a channel that is dedicated to ghost towns is that we know 
that when you're mining, that you are looking for certain resources. Once those resources move out, you're picking up that mine and you're moving that mine to a different location. You're digging, you're mining, you're looking for resources. Once those resources move, boom, you're moving. You're always constantly transferring or moving that mine or that mining camp. And mining towns come and mining towns go. And there you go. Ghost towns come into existence with the whole mining operation. Minnesota's full of them. And so we just thought that was a beautiful story to really tell, talk a little bit about it. Because I was amazed. I wasn't really sure about when I saw that gold was Minnesota. My first reaction was, yeah, right. But there is um, a lot of resources, a lot of resources out there um, that you know I would encourage you know anybody to um, to go look at. But the the one thing that I really want people to consider when they're looking at ghost towns. Um, especially, you know, in Minnesota, along with this, is just to realize the history that's involved with it. And there's there's a lot. So I want to encourage you to um, subscribe to my channel. We, we have a bunch of things going on with this. Um, first off, we have a YouTube channel because I'll do a video with this. And then I have a podcast that's kind of tied with this as well. I'd like to try to have at least one to three um, submissions a week if possible because there's so much ground to cover you know as i'm digging deeper into this thing just in the state of iowa where i live um you know i could spend all my time just covering iowa ghost towns but i think that there is a rich history here in the midwest of um, anywhere from 12 to 13 states right so what are we talking about here when we talk about we're talking about thousands of ghost towns to cover probably I probably can't cover all of them in my lifetime if I tried but I'm going to right I try to just keep it going because I think there's a rich history here and part of that rich history is like what we just got got done discussing here gold in Minnesota so what says you you you're listening to this podcast now maybe you've seen that video maybe you're from Minnesota maybe you know some things that maybe I missed or some details I'd love to hear hear from you drop a comment if you you can do that on the YouTube channel if you like. You're welcome to um, here on the podcast as well. And we will put these out on different social media sites. My Facebook site as being one of them as well. And all Midwest Ghost Town. Love to have you follow along. And like we say on this channel, we believe that history and the stories and the past, they come alive when we discuss it, when we research it. And we believe that here at Midwest Ghost Town.